Welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. Today, we have a podcast guest that I've been looking forward to talking to. This guy is the head of performance, and it's skill performance. That's the technical, technical director, I believe, is the technical title. Right, Dean? Yeah, the technical, the director, technical yeah. director of the UFC PI Shanghai, and it is Dean Amasinger. Did I say that correctly? You did, yeah. Fuck nice. yeah! All right, dude. <laughs> so we're excited to have you here. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself for the people at home, in case they don't know. Yeah, uh, well, that's that's a, that's a quite open questions. A lot, lot, <laughs> lots of fun. Yeah, on, the, on the spot, right away. Yeah, <laughs> where, where where do you um, where do you come from? Yeah, so I'm from uh, England. I, do, I come from a place uh, just outside of um, London called Windsor, uh, where the Queen used to live, or now the King, uh, <laughs> Windsor Castle. Um, and uh, yeah, f- former professional uh, fighter. I was uh, another connection to you. Actually, we were talking a little bit just before we got recorded about I was starting recording um, about the academy guys, but. Uh, uh, Santino DeFranco uh, is is in uh, Scottsdale, right? We we were both on the Ultimate yeah. Fighter together. Um, no and, shit. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, we were on series series nine together. Uh, UK, I was on Team UK. Um, so I and then you know I fought in fought in MMA. Went on to um, coach as well. Obviously went into yeah went into co- coaching more of my career. I spent coaching than fighting, if, uh, to be honest. Uh, and then, uh, but while I was coaching in, in MMA, uh, I was oh, sorry. When I was fighting, though, I was like part of Team Roughhouse in the in the UK, which is like Paul Daly, um, Dan Hardy, Ross Pearson, uh, Nico Shipshaw, all those all those guys that were in um, the UFC from the UK. Uh, but while I was fighting, even 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 while I was fighting, I was coaching a lot of those guys and cornering. Um, them um, in, in the UFC, uh, and then you know when I went full time coaching, I was working with um, like Michael Bisping, and, and particularly towards the end of his uh, towards the end of his his career as well. And uh, but while I was doing that, and as you know, it, the, the sport has come a long way, um, you know. But I got into um, I don't know, I started training martial arts when I, from when I was like four years old. But in terms of like MMA, we're talking like two thousand and three. Um, and it was a very different time, you know, and when those guys went into the UFC in like 2006, sort of that level, it was still hard to make a, a living for it, particularly on the coaching side of things. Uh, so I was yeah. working in, in strength and conditioning and working in other sports. I also like played rugby. Um, and so that's the main, the main sport I've worked in, in strength and conditioning alongside a few, um, a few others. Uh, and that was kind of the thing that I was doing alongside uh, coaching and, and, and MMA. So that's why where I've sort of ended up where I'm now today and uh, as the technical director at the uh, PI where I like I'm overseeing the performance services um at, like the, the and the different departments that we have in in Shanghai and I'll I'll come to that later in terms of um how the PI works but then but also covering the technical side as well uh with my with my background so it's like a, it's been a it's it's a uh, uh, an un- unconventional path maybe that I've, I've taken, but, yeah. but, I, but, but then ended up like in this, in my dream job, really is, is this is what I've been working towards for, for a very long time. And, and it seems to have fit re- really well with the, with the position and then my, um, my skill set. Dude, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. So, well, before we get to the coaching stuff, I want to talk about the first thing you said with the, the ultimate fighter. Yeah. How was that experience? Because <laughs> I've heard that's a crazy time. 
yeah, it was. Um, it, it, it's, it's really challenging mentally. It, like, I learned a lot about um, myself doing doing that experience. I learned a lot about uh, the, the the mental, a lot about that um, whole experience about how mentally tough you can be. And and you know you're you're in there with you know no uh, no music, uh, no books, uh, no TV. Uh, and, and and then in an environment of people that you don't know, we, the Team UK we had a little bit of an advantage because the UK MMA scene is is uh, relatively small. So I actually knew every single person in the team in some way or other. Three of them were my teammates from Rafael. So oh, uh, shit. yeah, so, <laughs> so so it was like we we it was like we had a definite advantage in that in that respect. Like I knew James Wilkes, and, and he's not properly. He wasn't like part of Roughhouse, but he would train. He had trained with us bef- uh, before, and then Ross and Andre uh, Winner uh, are both part of t- uh, Team Ruff- uh, Roughhouse. And then I knew Jeff uh, Jeff Lawson. I'd fought Dave Faulkner, um, and then Nico Shipshack. I kind of knew. Um, as well, and then Martin Stapleton was the other person on there who I knew from around the scene. So we, we we were in a different situation in that respect of of um, at least we were kind of well, two of them were like proper friends, and the other guys you kind of knew. So that that helps, uh, but it's like it's 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 a challenge. Like in the, in that um, in that environment, just it's like a pressure cooker. Uh, you know, they purposefully you know fill the house mm-hmm. with alcohol, and you know you don't have a lot of time uh, on. <laughs> uh, Oh, sorry. You do. You have a lot of time on your hands outside of training, and so you yeah. can imagine it sets it up for. Um, you know, they're wanting they're, they're keeping the things like books and and what have you away from you to 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 make the, it a, like a challenging situation to cause conflict. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. I, looking back on it, I can see that that's that's what they're doing. Uh, and so, but I realised that I was, I you know, I'd, I had done nothing to that point on. Um, mental coaching or sports performance or anything oh, sorry uh, sports psychology or anything like that um and i was out of my comfort zone and, and and i was young i was young as well i was only like 23 um and so i i, I coming away from that realized how uh, i was unprepared uh, for that and i yeah. and and normally i had you know like my teammates cornering me and and I, I, I quite it quite famously that uh, Bisping missed my fight uh, in one of the fights I had. I had yeah, the first fight which I won, but then the second one uh, he missed the fight because something something went on. And but I I remember I took a lot of, from my teammates uh, like Paul Daly and so on. Uh, I took a lot of confidence from the fact that they were cornering me. Uh, but at the time, I didn't realize that actually that was like a crutch, and and you shouldn't have anything external and externally that you're relying on because in the event that that that's not there then then you're you're and I you know my my uh I was you know I was rattled by that and it and it so in terms of like looking back looking back on that and 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 as from a coaching perspective uh thinking about the the mental side of things I I learned a lot from it uh, but even in that in on the ultimate fighter I, I was actually cornering all the guys that the that were on it and I didn't uh, at the time, I still, um, you know, I was thinking of myself as a fighter, but in reality, I was, I was, you know, on the path, well, well on the path to um, being a coach, even at that point. Well, yeah, what's that... funny is like the other people probably knew before you did that you were going to be a badass, uh, badass coach, right? Maybe. Everybody yeah. else, if you're cornering yeah. all them, they already yeah. know. They see yeah. the writing on the wall. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. you want to be in that corner for those guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it, 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 like now I can. Um, Again, like as you as you try to be more um, introspective about things, and and uh, from a coaching um, uh, mindset, uh, I can see that that 
I was, you know, that, that's what my aptitude was was for. And I might, and I've, but at the time when you're a fighter and you have this ego and you don't want to be honest, you, you can't be honest with yourself about, you know, that that and and being and and being honest with the fact that actually I prefer coaching and I'm in, and I'm good at that and that's where my skill set lies. That's that's a hard thing to. Uh, be honest with yourself about, especially when you're actually at an age where you're still in the prime of your uh, physical capabilities um, and making making that switch. So it was, um, you know, going going through some, um, yeah, self yeah. self reflection. It's just, it's just different, Absolutely. dude. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. I'm a little I'm bit actually... Alaska, and uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. I I, uh, I I got there. I got there in the end. No, that's, I'm actually very curious about that kind of transition as you talk about getting into strength conditioning coaching, getting into coaching. Cause I went through a similar experience myself, my senior year wrestling at university, I was voted team captain. I was this and that. And I was really more on the board of like coaching and uh, like peer leading and yeah. mentoring. Right. And I was a little bit less on the idea of like my own comp- competitive status. So I, I can sympathize with you there a little bit, but how did that ultimate transition happen, right? From coach to athlete coach at the same time into just full on, I'm going to be a strength coach. I'm going to be a technical coach. Like walk us through that journey. Yeah. So uh, well, the, the strength coach stuff was happening the, 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 the whole time because that was, okay. that was like a, a financial, that was a financial thing. Um, gotcha. And um, because that you know it's a proper it's an actual job, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whereas, right? It makes know, money, yeah. Whereas, whereas <laughs> More coach, than an MMA coach, yeah. yeah. Whereas MMA coach, even working with like high level guys, uh, it's not, yeah, it's not exact. Wasn't exactly putting uh, food on the table. Um, and I, I, in in rugby, I had also had quite a unique uh, skill set in that I, I I played. I actually started wrestling um, because of rugby. So when I was I was playing rugby at like. Uh, I think I was started about twelve uh, wrestling, but my rugby coach suggested it as a um, way to improve my uh, tackling, and so that's how I got. Although I'd started kickboxing younger, that's how I got into wrestling, and I fell in love with wrestling. Uh, but then when when I went back to coaching in 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 rugby, I actually was a contact skills coach as well as a strength and conditioning coach. So I would coach like contact skills and the breakdown and, and tackle technique and those things. So I, that. I also found a little bit of a niche in in rugby in that respect, um, and so that, that's that's the other area that I was um, I was working. But in terms of the the transition from MMA, uh, there was one there was a couple of fights, but one particular that stood out that I was I was fighting on a card. This was on Bama, which is like a a um, European uh, uh, organization that was that was relatively big back then. It's not it's no longer going at the moment. I think it actually got bought by uh, uh, bought by Bellator. And, yeah. and uh, I was fighting on a card that I was cornering other people. Oh my god! <laughs> and uh, and at the time, I'm just like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. It's just it is what it is. But oh, then, it, it, yeah, and 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 it obviously was not the the best place uh, f- for my mindset and what I was thinking about. I'm concerned about how they're warming up, and, and I'm you know uh, also trying to warm up for the uh, for my fight. It's just and. You know, I literally had one foot in in, in both both areas, um, mm-hmm. and then in one, and then my uh, second to last fight, um, I fought on KSW, which you probably would be f- familiar with, yeah. And uh, uh, I got knocked out in that fight. That was the first fight that I'd been like actually knocked out. Um, and I had a daughter at that at that point, and it was and I had 
like other opportunities like working in yeah like working in rugby and I you know I've worked with high level like the England rugby team I worked with the Queens of Red in Australia and and you know with 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 different um yeah different teams uh, and different sports like with like uh, the Great Britain water polo team etc and and so because I had those opportunities and fighting wasn't the only thing that I could possibly do uh, and I realized that you know that, that you know it's not, you can't do it you can't, as much as I love fighting and I did enjoy I did enjoy it, you can't do it halfway and and especially the ex, you know one, and then when I looked at myself the way if I was coaching myself I'd be like mate you what are you doing you're not you're not you're not giving 100% you're not I wouldn't accept the way I was approaching my preparation in any athlete yeah. I was coaching so I was like well why am I why am I I'm not living I'm not living up to the expectations that I would hold for an athlete that I'm working with and I need to I need to stop I need to stop fighting. So that that's kind of where, where it happened in 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 as as difficult as a com- conversation um, with myself that, that that was, especially because your identity is attached to your you know as, as a fighter and every t- and every time you see been people, there. oh, when's your yeah. next fight? Or oh, well done, and you know, and and you, you get caught up in that with with regards to your um, ego. And so, and I mentioned um, ayahuasca, but like the the role that that plays in dissolving the ego was like helpful in me making that in that decision going down that decision path and then what and then once I did make that decision to be full-time coaching like both things were being like contradictory and then when I went full-time coaching a, a lot of things you know came off the back of that and then and then you know a couple of years later I was I was in this in this job that I have now Damn. Awesome, man. okay yeah. and what's cool is you got to see from both ends because like obviously like England is known for its high performance model like you guys do it probably better than anywhere in the world, how how it was set up. So you got Australia, to see the I, that might have the call, but we're pretty yeah, really, we're pretty yeah. Really, Australia's up there too. I think I think the AIS, uh, which is Australian okay. Institute of Sport, a lot of they, they, they have a really good system. If you think about what they've done in sports performance relative to the you know number of people they have in in Australia, um, you know, they they've got some the top the, the top people I look up to in strength and conditioning. Are all from Australia. Uh, there's a couple. Okay. There's, a, there's a couple in um, uh, from England and not the EIS, uh, like who who are our boss um, uh, Duncan French. Duncan. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. he came from the EIS, which yeah. obviously produces some heavy hitters as well. Um, but the AIS is e- on, on, a, on an equal footing. I would, I would, if not, if if not slightly ahead. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah, and and that AIS system is is what I've been around, and and some of my mentors mentors uh, both in. Um, the AIS and EIS are, 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 yeah, like I said, people that I look up to and have supported me in my career massively. What's cool is like, so bringing it back to you transitioning um, from athlete to coach, like it's a similar story, like like Alex said that Alex had, right? It's a similar story that I had where I, I actually forewent or for, forego, forewent, I don't even know what word to use. One of those words, yeah. I forewent my last at- year of eligibility to go straight to Cairo school because right. I had in early. Okay. Phil DeRue said the exact same thing. He was like, we, uh, I was, I was in a fight and I just, I just knew that it, I needed to just switch. I knew there was something in me that I just needed mm. to switch. And all these coaches that I respect saying the exact same thing. Yeah. I wish more, I wish more fighters and more athletes would, would be able to realize that. And I think that's something that would be cool to, whether we create it or whether it gets created somewhere down the road, someone who can actually help these athletes find themselves in the coaching side of things. Cause so many athletes, if you're not, if you if you're one foot in one foot out like you said right you yeah. can't do fighting like right. y- yeah. you can't step into that cage because that person across from you if he's got two feet in he's gonna yeah. hurt you 
this 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 isn't soccer. This isn't baseball. Like if that dude across me, he's going to hurt you. Yeah. Well, and and I, and I don't think it's not, it's not only just the coaching aspect. Even on the um, even on the athlete side, uh, having goals, uh, knowing where you want to be, having like like focused direction, whether it be to the coaching side or. Uh, the athlete side that's that's important just knowing where you want to be and knowing where you want to go that's the important and then you can focus your energy on that whereas even a lot of athletes just kind of like going along not really knowing what they want to be doing and and on uh, uh, and being focused and they lose they lose time in there that's something i focus on 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 the mental performance side is like goal setting and 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 targeting their energies that they're they're maximizing their progression they're maximizing their development and not just doing the same things as they go along um you know year year to year and they've suddenly missed three years where they haven't developed as well as they they could have and and just having an awareness about what your goals are um is good on the athlete side and if you know that actually no this isn't for me and i want to be a coach then that, that way is and then i have goals that i want to achieve as a coach as well so it's the same it's the same thing yeah and to your point dean like i yeah. think that's a that can be a role of a really good coach that puts you through that or a mental performance coach somebody that has yeah. can help you get your thoughts in order and then execute a plan almost like a career plan a career trajectory right like exactly. and it's just getting organized and and i i can't agree more with you that the more present you can be the more self aware you are with where you want to go the better you can achieve those goals right once you aligned what do i actually want to do with how do how am i acting i want to be a good coach yeah. i've acted to be a good coach right things took off for you right and so that's that's one of the things that i try and implement or i'm trying to get better at in my own life is like be present be where you're at and then act towards where you want to be or where you want to go. hundred percent. And a lot of the guys, let's use the fighters as the example, is that they have the goal of maybe making it to the UFC, but but that's their goal. But they don't think about what, what am I doing in my life day to day that's going to get me to the yeah. goal of being in the They think like I'm training, I'm fighting. But it's like you need the professional like, lifestyle. You, there's all these other factors in terms of their weight, in terms of their, their training, their SSC, their being organized, all those aspects that, that they just think that the talent – well, some think that the talent is going to be enough because they're able to uh, to fight. And if they're not focused in those things, maybe they will get there. But it's like it's about maximizing and optimizing your training um, and being on top of those type of, uh, particularly around the uh, professional lifestyle stuff. Uh, that's that setting the goals about what do I need to do to achieve that goal and really focusing. I think is 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 um, like super important. Now, obviously, as the technical director at the UFC uh, Performance Institute in Shanghai, how are you guys implementing that into some of your athletes' lives? Or how are you um, encouraging that or facilitating that for a lot of your athletes that do have the ultimate goal to get to the UFC, to be a professional MMA fighter? Like, what role, how does that look for you guys? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, that, that, that's also a, a, um, a, a big question, but... Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, because like where, it's kind of like where, where to start because there's so many a- aspects. Uh, um, yeah, let's let's talk about like mental performance first because that's the train we're on. Like mental perform, how do you implement re- mental performance for your athletes? Yeah, so um, w- one of the things that I think is like really important and um, uh, that. If you think about it, right? Let's let's compare it to other sports. I, I, sorry to go back to uh, you know rugby, but rugby sure. uh, or, or soccer, they're playing multiple games um, per per season, and they're getting their exposures to competition 
you know, 30 per season. And, and, and even, the, even athletes at, that, that do that still have um, a, a level of uh, performance, performance anxiety. But in MMA, uh, which is slightly different also, also to boxing, where boxing at least they have you know quite quite substantial amateur careers. Um, in in uh, in MMA, they kind of some people have an amateur career, but they basically go pro uh, at a very. Um, uh, oh, sorry, I'm just, I think I'm just. Are you, are you guys still there? Yes, sir. Oh, sorry. Are you here? Green just like you, you guys. You guys froze. Um, and so yeah, so so they. So they don't get those exposures. So one of the things they do is one of the things we like to do is uh, like competition rehearsal. So we'll do, yeah. for example, like um, a uh, the uh, the walk-ins before before they uh, spar. So we'll have we'll separate training tra- sparring days to off camp and fight camp. The off camp guys will either go before or after, and the fight camp guys will be in the octagon. We have two octagons at the PI. Uh, we'll do a full walk in with the people that are going to be cornering them. We have their fight music on. We have a fight announcer. We use our sports medicine department to be doing the um, Vaseline and the check, uh, the gum shield check, and all, all of that. And then we check, you know, we, we make sure we recreate that the way it's done when they, when they, um, when they fight in a in a UFC fight, uh, we have an announcer that that on a microphone, and then the people who are in off camp who aren't sparring are watching it. So it may only be like you know twenty people or something, but it's still having raising that level of intensity and and uh, familiarizing them uh, with um, the way that they're going to be p- performing when it comes to fight night, because the actual uh, combat element of it is they obviously they're getting enough exposure to that when they're training, but the other aspects that can play into uh, disrupting uh, w- their arousal levels by the, the the crowd or the lights or those type of things. When you're not getting an, enough um, exposure to that, uh, that can be- become a problem and play into the performance anxiety aspect of it. So if you do those type of one of the things, uh, as an example, is that you're doing those rehearsals. It desensitizes them to um, those aspects, and then when it comes to the fight, uh, we're hoping that um, that they feel more comfortable and, and we're recreating. Uh, they're able to perform the way that they do in training in in a fight and so often you know you must have had experience of guys uh, that look great in the gym but then when it comes to to fight night they yeah. they're not able to do anything um, yeah. and so that that's one of the things that we do to um uh really uh, uh mitigate that that mitigate those performance anxiety issues uh, another aspect which i've already spoke, spoken about is goal setting um so goal setting is a big one um on the mental performance side, so uh, them, them having an awareness of of the the uh, the, the steps that they need to uh, to take to achieve the ultimate goal of either being in the UFC or once they are in the UFC, you know, getting to the rankings, whatever it is, and that and then separating that into their technical training, their non technical training, their performance lifestyle stuff, like they meeting their weight targets, and so when you're setting those when you're setting those. Um, uh, goals or the mini goals, and you keep achieving them. They're like they're, they're con- constant wins that they're having through the fight camp and through the year, and they're seeing look, they, they, those wins are like the, the foundations of that subconscious that is giving those that confidence. Uh, whereas, mm. whereas w- without that, ov- obviously they can still have confidence without that, but it's it's uh, just an aspect that that, that contributes uh, towards that. Um, and then mindfulness. So we do like visualization around uh, a competition as well so if they're traveling uh and and that we also incorporate like breath 
breath work with the visualization as well. So the breath work mm-hmm. is important uh, in terms of, for example, um, like heart, um, what the one minute recovery, the heart rate one minute recovery is an incredibly important um, aspect of integrating uh, technical and non-technical uh, training because th- there was some re- research by, um, I think the GB boxing uh, squad around around uh, the your ability to retain information when your heart rate is over, over like 150 beats per minute and your cognition when your heart rate is at that. Yeah. So in that minute, you could be I could be coming in a, as a coach with the best information in the world, but if if they if they're not able to bring their heart rate down, then yeah. it's just and they they're not going to be able to take. It. So that's why you know you want to bring their heart rate down, but uh, in that minute. But if you're training that with breathing properly and proper breathing technique using their diaphragm. And we're doing that with integrating it with the conditioning. We're integrating it with like the shark tank that we do. So they're practicing the heart rate. We have their heart rate visualized on, on a screen when they're doing conditioning or when they're doing the shark tank and they come and we, and they're, and we're, you know, we're doing applying the breathing techniques to the, um, to, to reduce that number so they can visualize that as well. And then incorporating all of those things with, on like after after sessions we'll do breathwork sessions to train that and in those breathwork sessions we're doing visualization about competition seeing that their hand being raised you know walking into the, all of those aspects um and so that the, so these are the, these the, i mean the, there's more things than that but the, these are the type of things that we're trying to do um to develop the sort of fighter and i think that uh, um, Gav spoke about my system, which is called the FMA model, uh, which yeah. is the fighter, martial artist, and athlete. And so oh, all yeah. those aspects are talking about developing the, the 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 fighter. But of course, you see how when you're talking about integrating it with conditioning and other aspects, then then the athlete is also being coached in that moment, and the martial artist being coached because you're integrating an aspiring day as well. So at times, obviously, all things are being developed in terms of the FMA model, and sometimes they're being separated off and targeted individually as well. That's kind of like, uh, it's almost like training the energy systems, right? We know yeah. we can't just train the energy systems all independent of each other. They're all mm-hmm. going on at once, exactly. right? But you can still, even though you can't isolate, you can still preferentially try to skew your training towards one at a time, knowing that it's all happening in the background. Exactly. And with, with, with so many things, I, I always consider it as like an emphasis model of periodization. So there's, it's, it's, you, I, I, I've envisaged myself as a producer at like a, in a, in a music studio. <laughs> yes. Moving the, the things along the way at different times, different phases. You're just, you're just Dr. Dre for fighters, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, uh, hell yeah. I, I, hell like, yeah. I like to think so. But uh, hell yeah. certainly in my head though, I, that, that's kind of the, the picture that I have of, of, of the different things on, on the technical side and the, on the, on the uh, non-technical side uh, and it's like a, the emphasis of w- w- what we're focusing on you know and, and and gav spoke about how you know and, and off camp there's a deficit focus and once we're doing our screening with our tier one tests and then there there's a deficiency focus on the non-technical side but we also do that on the technical side of training as well uh, we have some non-technical sorry we have some technical tests that allow us to target our technical training as well we can we can come to, come to that later but oh um, i want to go to that yeah now. i was just saying, i'm very uh, interested am, right now yeah, am, please that was that one of my main <laughs> questions i have listed on the side is like so gab was talking about you came up with an entire technical assessment system that's basically unheard of at any other gym. I hope you know that. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Yeah, like, yeah that's uh, fucking amazing, dude. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, I want to give credit where credit is due. Is like one of my mentors is a guy called Franz um, Ludica. Uh, he won this Super Rugby uh, with the Bulls uh, from South Africa, and I worked with him in Japan. And uh, 
he's he's an incredible coach. He's the best coach of of uh, you know ever worked with in, in any sport across any sport. And um, you know, a man amongst men, an incredible leader, uh, but also just so diligent with the level of detail that he got, went into. And I'm not I'm not, I'm not sure how familiar. Um, you are with rugby as a sport, uh, but there's yeah, very distinct. I've played, uh, yeah, yeah. So there's very distinct positions that that that, that are in that are in rugby, and he, if for each position, he had a com- complete breakdown of what are the within his system. What are the uh, requirements of that position in terms of their technical abilities? So nice. a, a prop needs to be able to. Uh, he wants a certain level of tackling, a certain amount of tackles per game, except. Every single position had that, and I, and, and I've played rugby since I was, um, you know, eight years old, and, and and no coach has ever spoken to me about what you just kind of know the position, but no yeah. one, no one was like, this is what I want out of you in in this position, and then when it came to uh, MMA, I, in terms of the technical requirements of the sport, like it's quite general conversations that you have, but I don't think I hadn't seen it ever being broken down in that way. So I, I thought about what, what there's like the foundational martial arts, like kickboxing, jujitsu, wrestling. Um, and those foundational martial arts is where we, you know, I, I started the generation that fought in MMA, we started doing the individual martial arts, but MMA as a martial art have those uh, technical skill categories that are from those, but then yeah. there are the the aspects of uh, the technical skill categories that are independent to MMA. So like fence wrestling, uh, get ups. Uh, the way you get up in wrestling, you can't get up in in MMA because you're going to give your neck. Uh, or even even the way you get up in jiu jitsu, you you leave yourself vulnerable to strikes. Uh, there's ground and pound, which is not in, not in any other uh, you know foundational martial art. Uh, punches into takedowns that aren't really in any other foundational martial art. So those those are the technical skill categories that are unique to MMA. And there are certain ones like striking, uh, wrestling, and um, ground fighting, offense and defense on all all three of them uh, that constitute eleven technical skill categories that have then got subcategories to those technical skill categories. And so for the for the wrestling, for example. In the in the test that we have, um, we've got the the six main uh, wrestling uh, takedowns that we that we know from the statistics that you see. We, obviously, we have access to that everyone actually does, but they don't use them as well, as much as they uh, should. But we know that the the three main uh, um, takedowns are clinch, single leg, and double leg, and they also but and sixty percent of all takedowns happen against the fence. So. The, we the same against the fence in the fifty fifty single leg and um, and double leg. So in those six positions, we have with the test is we, we use three athletes, A, B, and C, and you do two offense and two defense in all of those positions. So it, it's, each one lasts a minute. So you you basically effectively do two minutes on, one minute off. So the A would go with B, A would go with C, and then B would go with C, and then B would go with A, and then C would go with B, C would go with A, right? So we okay. cycle around. But the, the, the constraints of the test is that in that single leg, we're scoring the outcome for both the offense and defense. So there's a point system yeah. similar to like jiu-jitsu scoring, but with an MMA mindset. So it's not scoring in the, in, in the, the weighting of the scoring is different. It's like we've... Um, adapted it so that, for example, pulling guard, there's no there's no points for that unless it's in. Do you know what I mean? Because that that that's not an advantage. An advantage. Whereas I know that doesn't score points actually in in jiu-jitsu either. But I'm just giving you the example that the point scoring, without going into the details of the specifics of them, just to give you an idea yeah. that it's more based around the outcomes that you want for MMA, the attitudes that you want for MMA. So 
so whether you're in the offensive or defensive position, the scorers, which there's two at, at, that are scoring in that moment, will can score the offense and defense. And at the end of it, we have a. Uh, it's a sh- shame I can't um, sh- share with you what what it looks like, but we get basically get a plot of um, their offense and defense, but then that's also broken down by the positions. So in the double leg, for example, they got how many takedowns or how many, if it defensively, how many times they were able to defend it. And then the grappling test is on the six most common positions that we find in MMAs, which is mount, uh, side control, back control, turtle, front headlock, and guard. So it's statistically, those are the, the, the six main positions. So that's why I focused on them. And it's the same way. Obviously, they're not done. These tests aren't done at the same time. Uh, but three people, three people going through it at the same time, A, B, and C, and they go through each position. And in the combine, this is how we do it. We separate it out, uh, and they do it all at once. But for for continuing uh, assessment, I might once we do that initial assessment of those different positions, then. Um, we, we we can bucket them into their weaknesses, particularly if they're in off camp. And then, for example, on the grapple, if the front headlock, if they got submitted, this is like a really simplified way of looking at it, but say in the front headlock, they got submitted three times, that person would have had like 15 points scored against them in, in front headlock. And so then for their neck, for that next six week cycle of programming, they'd be working on uh, front headlock defense. So just like it, it's, it's, give, it's giving us a targeted way and looking at the technical aspects of what they need to be working on. So I'm not just doing general stuff. Whereas, and then in the timetable that we have at the at the academy, there's like a foundational um, timetable that across a three week cycle that I program has a um, we cover all of the eleven technical skill categories. But within one week, they'll cover at least eight because sometimes you can't fit them all in. And then in, in the other sessions, which we call swing sessions, are that they go off into smaller groups. Uh, and it's like, think about it like an elective at, at college where you're, you're, yeah. you'll be working on the things that you need to be working on in, um, in, in off camp. Because in off camp, it's a, again, it's a deficit focus. When we go into fight camp, those uh, um, swing sessions are no longer swing sessions and it's more their reactive sessions. So uh, like a sparring review session or game planning session. So we'll see sparring, we'll make notes, we, we get feedback from them, they give us feedback. And those sessions are then um, targeted to the, like more reactive in the moment of how they're performing in sparring. And then an off camp is more planned out like on, on a six week cycle of, of the deficits that we've identified from the technical skill um, assessment. Damn. So that's yeah. actually hysterical because me and Alex talk about, so we do the same for, through building a fighter. Like our, our, we don't have the same KPI. You have so many KPIs and I want to get into that, <laughs> but we have, so basically what we talk about is like a, we call it the Mario Kart theory where like out of camp, I want to make you Mario, you ever played Mario Kart, right? Of course. <laughs> yeah, okay. please, so please. You, you know, you, you spent playing a, uh, playing uh, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So like when you, when you play Mario Kart, right? Everybody's has their own stat line. Yeah. When you're out of camp, I want to make you Mario. I want you to be even across the board. I'm raising your floor as high as it can go to try to match. As soon as you get into camp, that's when we can turn you into Donkey Kong, Yoshi, Waluigi, <laughs> anybody. We can vary those stat lines to how you fight and not yes. just how you fight, but how your opponent is going to react to how you fight as well. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and just being able to vary those different things. But the only way to be able to turn into a different character 
is if you can be Mario in the first place. Yeah. You got to have a base level of competency before you can specialize. 100%. And that's why I have that foundational martial art, sorry, uh, foundational um, uh, timetable, because regardless of, of skill set, everyone has to have a fundamental understanding of all those 11 technical skill categories. No matter whether you want to be a striker or a dominant wrestler, you still have to be yeah. proficient. Because if you're not, you're going to come up against an opponent that can take you to that weakness, and then you, that's it. You, 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 that's how losses come. So... Uh, of course, you're trying to. Uh, the, no, nothing is foolproof, but you're trying to mitigate those um, um, those things and make people as well rounded as possible. And then those those swing sessions or the um, in the fight camp, the uh, the uh, reactive sessions, uh, they, they, they then allow to, for the for the individualism and the sort of specialism of the of that particular athlete's style. So that that, that yeah, that I, I I agree with you 100 on that, and that's that's kind of my, my philosophy and, and, and approach and like the underpinning um, idea behind the sort of FMA, FMA model. Heck yeah. No, I think that's an awesome way to to more or less objectify like your positions, right? You get a numerical value, you get those plot points, and yeah. then you can plan based around them exactly how you described it. My initial kind of reaction was like, well, what if, you know, athlete B is just a badass wrestler, so I, I lose every wrestling session, this go or whatever. But I think as you explained it, as you kind of got into your 11 different categories with subcategories, I, is have you found that the the assessment is robust enough to kind of no, see you're, a good you're, picture of that. Or you're, how does you're, that on, go? you're on the money, man. That, that, that's obviously the um, uh, flaw of the, of the system. The, what we've done to mitigate it, though, is that we, um, to, so depending on the level, for example, in the wrestling, depending yeah. on the level that they've wrestled at. So we've got some guys uh, that are, so overall we tier them, tier A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's their overall MMA tiering. But in the wrestling, we also tier them because we've got some guys that are like national level wrestlers, like Alat- yeah. Alatang Haley. Yeah, I was about to say, you got Haley. Yeah, yeah Haley. Right. <laughs> we've got a few guys that are like that, right? They're, they're yeah, national okay. level wrestlers. And then Bala Jin was there for a little bit, right? Bala Jin, yeah. He, he, yeah. yeah. So he, he's sim- similar, similar sort of thing. So that, that, that would be a tier A wrestler. And then, then, and then tier B would, uh, I forget off the top of my head how we've classified it, but it's like basically experience. And then same on the grappling. The grappling, obviously, you're a black belt, you're a tier A. Black and brown, we put together purple and blue but we don't really have below that but i think that's how we've we put purple and brown together black belt as a uh and then and then um c is blue belt and and and, and below sort of thing yeah so then when we put them in those tiers the 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 idea is that wherever possible it's always three three tier a's training together mm-hmm. okay yeah. okay but, okay. but yeah. uh, if if it's not and it's two a's and a b uh we we, we multiply the score by a coefficient so we do that for both both weight to make sure they're within within a weight of each other because obviously that impacts it as well. But if they're in a different tier as well, we we so then so then if you if, if you're a guy if you, if you're in a tier if uh, for example let's say uh, we're us three are tier A's and then we and then and then we're comparing our scores to some three tier C's we may actually get the same scores but. Every point we score is is harder earned because you two yeah, are also tier it's worth A. more yeah. exactly. So we multiply the tier A's by a coefficient that means that their scores come out higher 
And then, and then, and then conversely, if I was a tier A with two tier Bs, my score wouldn't be multiplied by as much. So then my scores, the scores, I'd obviously score more against you if I was tier A and you tier yeah. B. And that sort of counts for it. Look, it's not perfect. Um, no, but and, and, dude, you're speaking my fucking language. I'm a, system, I'm a system guy. Yeah, yeah, system, yeah, and yeah, this like, seems like a fucking awesome system. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've just, it, 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 yeah, it's like I said, it's not, it's definitely, definitely not perfect. And, uh, but, Prior to that, I was just like working on stuff that we were going to work on with no sort of um, idea, like, like a general idea of like oh, this guy needs to work on this. But when, when, when I had to, I had to be more efficient at the um, at, at the PI because I've got thirty guys in the academy. They're all pros. They're all full time. I don't have. It's not like a normal gym where you've got um, guys that aren't full time, but you can use them as training partners. And it's like you can focus on you know the special guys. It's like I've got thirty guys that all want the same attention as um, uh, as everyone else. And uh, and in terms of the directive from the UFC, I'm trying to get all of these guys into the UFC. So I can't just, you know, leave, leave them. So I need to be, leave them behind. I need to be really efficient with how I'm um, targeting their, their development rather than just doing general training. It has to be individualized to them to, to as, as we were talking about previously, uh, to maximize the speed in which they're, uh, uh, the speed in which they're developing. So if we, if we talk about, you know, uh, we were talking about Maka earlier, Mahashata, um, uh, you know, he joined as a tier C, went went up to tier b went into contenders and now is in in the ufc but in while he while he was there like developed like massively he's a young he's a young guy also as well which they're easier to coach and less they've got less bad <laughs> bad, bad habits um, yeah. <laughs> but but um yeah i think that's that in terms of that system um it's it's better than not having a system as, as although um yeah of course it's flawed it's not it's not definitely not perfect uh but it just gives me a frame the whole thing is about a framework yeah. around the decision making tree whether it be on the um on the, on the non-technical side about the decision making around uh the phenomenology or the esd profiling that we're doing or the the injury mitigation stuff it's just it's just helping you make informed decisions uh because at the end of the day there are so many ways that you can approach um, MMA development or sports performance that is just it, it, making as informed a decision as possible with using the data available to you just going to make help you make better decisions even though there are possibly other ways that, that, that you could do it I'm not saying it's like the the, the best way but I'm just I, I want to be satisfied with the decision that I do I have made I've thought about it before I've made that decision it's not just are we doing it for the sake of it which previously and my experience of you know my coaches I just turned up and we're like, we're working on this today. And it's like, and then the next week we're working on this and I'm like, okay, you know, and and you learn from it because I've, yeah. I've got, you know, we, that I've, I've learned and, and lots of people have learned, but I don't think if you look at other sports and my experience in rugby, and like I said, with Franz, the way that he, the way that he developed skill in, 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 in his, in his plays, he'd sign a player and he'd do a technical assessment of them in, in terms of their passing left and right hand and kicking and whatever. And then whatever they have deficits, that's what they're working on to develop. He, he needs, a, he needs the most well-rounded rugby player he can possibly have. And so I was like, okay, well, that's probably what we should be doing in MMA as well. Um, yep. Yeah. So I know you're from England. Are you familiar with uh, baseball? Can I make the money ball analogy right there? Yes, I, I'm familiar with that. And Forrest, <laughs> uh, who's obviously my boss, um, yeah. has made uh, that, analogy about my system that it's like it's kind of like the a money ball approach to, to MMA I don't think it's, it's quite it's, I don't think it's quite that but I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely uh yeah I'm, try, I'm trying well, I'm trying, well man you've got me sitting over here it's like did this guy go to the university for like stats or statisticians like Jesus <laughs> that's because MMA is such a dynamic and complex you know 
sport, right? There's yeah. so many facets going on at the same time. And that's why we love it is because it's so dynamic, but to quantify and then objectify and then really assess each of the different skill positions is, is I think next level, right? It's a system where most people don't operate from the system. And so that's, I think a way forward for a lot of people to understand. I also just want to be clear though, that obviously it's my, it's, you know, it's my, my system and the technical skill category was my approach, but a lot of the stuff, um, particularly on the stats side, you know, we've got an incredible team at the PI. I don't want to, say that it's all all, all me um sure. you know particularly uh, i want you know shout out to felix falkenberg uh on who's uh, our head of sports science in in, in um uh, shanghai he helped particularly around the uh, situational grappling tests and situational wrestling tests we worked on 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 the back end stuff he did a lot to help me with the um uh Particularly the presentation of the data, uh, and then obviously Gav's been involved in everything along the way, and 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 Forrest and Dunk. You know, we've got we've got some. I'm sure, I'm sure Roman helped Roman, out a little bit here and there. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. We got, we got, we've got uh, you know we've got uh, some heavy hitters in that in that in that team, and it's it's a definitely a collective, um, uh, you know, team effort on all, on everything we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just want to be clear, you know, clear about that for sure. Right. For sure. Well, what's cool is like, honestly, like hearing you talk about it makes me want to be a better coach because both me and Alex are also skill coaches as well. Right. Um, just on the wrestling side. Yeah. And like, like it's something that I don't hear, like every gym I go into is exactly what you described, like secondarily. Yeah. Hey, we're working on this today. Hey, we're going to come in uh, every, some, everybody in the room, we're going to be focused on double legs. And it's like, do those people that have been wrestling since they were six need yeah. to work on a double yeah. leg? Yeah, probably not. Exactly. So then why don't we spend our time in a little bit better way? And it's just it. I know you're very humble, but it just seems like this is a better way. It it mm-hmm. is a better it's a system. And yeah. one of my mentors told me a quote. He's like, a good person meets a bad system. The system's always going to win. A bad person meets a good system. The system's always going to win. So then why don't we try to hedge our bets? Why don't we try to mitigate risk? And why don't we make the best system possible that still allows our outliers to shine, yeah. right? Because the system, no, like the cool that. part about this system, it doesn't let the outliers, it doesn't inhibit the outliers. No. It allows them to grow. It allows them to expand. It allows them to take those elective courses yeah. where if they have an interest in cage wrestling, yeah. they can focus on cage wrestling. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and, and as an athlete, for example, also across the tiers, I have a different approach to like um, the athlete input. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. the tier C guy, I'm, I'm pretty... You know, I would think of it as like authoritarian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are doing this. <laughs> you don't know enough. Tell me what you need. And then, a t- whereas a tier A is like, no, this is a conversation. Now, you you got to take responsibility for your training. One, you're going to be leaving us and going to the UFC, um, and then we'd, I'm not going to have. I, I can't technically. Cut, I, 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 some of the UFC guys can join the academy sessions, and they're welcome to join it. But I can't do any individual coaching with any of the UFC fighters because there's like a conflict. oh shit, yeah, I didn't know that. Interest, yeah, there's yeah. conflict of interest there, though, if you think about it. I yeah, a hundred percent. No, I didn't even think about. So I that. don't. So they they can join in the sessions, and they can just be doing what everyone else is doing. But we can't do any game planning. We can't do. Definitely can't talk about any other um, UFC um, right fighters. Right, you have the data. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like really important. That's and and you know something that Forrest and Dunk are super um, like high on. Uh, yeah. yeah, but it, 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 I just um, I don't know. Actually, I lost my train of thought there. What, what, what why I made that point, but. <laughs> Uh, uh, you wanted the more advanced athletes oh, yeah, to sorry, have a yes. little bit more ownership yeah. over their ownership. training, yeah, exactly. And so, so in terms of the, in taking their input on what they want to, uh, um, what they want to work on, and particularly around, you know, on, on sparring days, 
um, you know, afterwards they have, they send a message uh, about something that was good and something that was challenging in that sparring session, and then the, then they'll help facilitate with the drills that I I know or, or what we also have, we have video analysis, so we film all of all of the sparring, and uh, so we have our own input about things we need to be working on as well. But it, it they have the best perspective on it and what they particularly confidence wise. We're talking about the um, you know men, this is another thing that comes on the mental performance side is that if if they feel that they didn't do as well or something, even if we we didn't, the fact that we're we're working to improve that thing and and correct it, that gives them confidence. Their work they're working on things yeah. that they are insecure about, should be, for want of a better word. So um, yeah, and 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 but like I said, the TSC guys, it's more like you know. Get your foundational skills up. Get your your knowledge up. Your understanding, which your fight IQ, your your experience to a point that that then we, later on in your career we can start having um, uh, those conversations about including you in the process. Right, and it's I a, think. Uh, well, I was going to say I think it's extremely important that you are getting feedback. Right, uh, a lot of I know, especially in MMA, like where it's, it is mostly an authoritarian sport, especially because most of the base is is wrestling, especially in America. Yeah. Um, if you speak up about what's going on in practice, say you say you're feeling fatigued that day, you just get called a pussy and you go on your way. Yeah, right. Yeah. That, that's basically what happens. But I have a theory that like, if say we do a standard RPE assessment, right. Where all the athletes rate their RPE of each, of each session throughout the week, I would almost guarantee in most gyms, there is a minimum of a two RPE difference between what the coach thinks that session mm. is and what the athlete thinks that session is. And if you aren't having those conversations, like something that I've been kind of trying to work up and I'm trying to figure out how to implement this is almost like a checkout iPad after practice where you go through a questionnaire before you leave the practice. How did you feel in the set? Everybody's got their own little individual thing. How did you feel in the session? Zero to 10. How do you feel like you performed in the session? Zero to 10. And outside of that, how hard was that session from a fatigue standpoint? Zero to 10. And then if we get those numbers, we can figure out how how does that athlete feel? How does that athlete feel like they performed? And then we can also compare it to what the coaches think because the coaches, you should be able to see everybody for the most part. Right. Yeah. And if the coach has a disparity between what the athlete said, we know something's fucking going on and there needs to be a conversation, but yeah. that doesn't happen enough. No. And, and again, we're like very fortunate in terms of our resources that we have a sports science department. Every single session we monitor RPEs. Uh, we're also monitoring daily wellness um, in terms of using mm. SRSS, uh, every morning they they come. We have an iPad at the entrance to the to the um, uh, PI, and they 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 do their daily wellness. And then after every session, is the same thing. They do their oh perfect. Uh, yeah. so, so you guys already got this shit set up. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we, we we have that. We use this, um, uh, an AMS called SmarterBase that that we work with them to, to develop it um, for for our needs. And uh, yeah, it's 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 great. And then and that's one of the things after every uh, cycle we can put. I, I, you know, I have session plans for um, every single session uh, in terms of what they're doing in the session in terms of programming, uh, and I, I that I have the RPE in that, so the sports science guys know what what I'm planning for it, and then, then we looking for anomalies because it could be individuals uh, that that um, have anomalies around. Uh, Compared to the averages, and and yeah. we use we're, we're using Z scores as well to see if if someone's consistently above that it could just be their you know it could just be their their sort of perception of those sessions, and not necessarily that they're doing anything extra. Yeah. You also have to take that into consideration uh, the anomalies to the to, uh, to the average. Um, but yeah, that's that's a really important part, and 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 uh, and uh, 
yeah, something that I value incredibly high, highly is about the, the periodization of, of 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 training. That that when I was fighting, there was like no periodization, um, oh, yeah. and and I yeah, started yeah. to introduce it when I was like learning S and C. That I realized that you know you know the you know the gas model of periodization, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we use like a three week cycle of moderate, high, low, and then throughout the week we do um, high, moderate, low, high, moderate, low uh, on a yeah. six day week with the Wednesday and Saturday half days. And then on a deload week, they have the Friday afternoon um, off. And so uh, the planned periodization in terms of the weekly as well as daily uh, is almost always like bang on. Um, and so I manipulate the ratios of live to drilling across those sessions and across those weeks and the number of total live rounds per week or total of li- live rounds per day or the ratio in that session of live to drilling. I manipulate those ratios to to change the intensity of the session. And so that's how I stick to the um, uh, the planned periodization across the across the different sessions and across the different weeks. And so we, we, we've got that pretty locked in now because we've been consistently me- measuring it. They, we don't need, unless there's some other issues that are flagging through SRSS or, mm-hmm. or, or how they're looking, then we'll do a deeper dive into their um, the comparison between my planned and their um, RPE outside of that, because we've been there for like five years now and, and my programming um, it, it seems to have that covered. We don't need to do that unless some something pops up that we need to have a deeper dive into how a particular um, athlete is responding to the training load. Right. And I love that periodization model, especially coming from like a, a skill and a technical coach, right? Like I, I feel like that's the the exception to the norm. Right. And like, why do you think, Dean, it is that like technical tactical coaches kind of missed that boat on periodization? Right. Because I don't think it's uncommon amongst MMA coaches or any other sport coaches that, you know, really don't implement some sort of periodization scheme. Like why why would it be that that kind of is missing? Well, in MMA, I would probably say it's because like in, in soccer and NFL, you have to do like coaching qualifications uh, to be to work in the NFL, you have to have done coaching qualifications. To work in soccer, rugby, there's like, they call it badges in in rugby and and, and soccer. Yeah. And in those courses, you learn about periodization. You learn about lo- all all areas actually. And they're they're, they're pr- not. They, I wouldn't say they're comprehensive. They're not the best, but they they still give you an understanding of, of those aspects. Yeah. yeah, and 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 how you know non technical and technical should be um, uh, integrated. So because MMA doesn't have that. And for most people, they've either been a fighter or they're just, you know, um, yeah, doing what their coach has taught them. There was a lot of a lot of stuff that I had to question myself, um, particularly when I came to the uh, because we, we came to Shanghai in March. and We opened in June, but all the staff were there. So those three months are like the best three months of my like, life, pretty much. In te- te- like professionally, <laughs> not not my, uh, my daughter's been being on it. The conversations we had in that time, like I've never had conversations like that. Like we, yeah. for, also in MMA, like there's a little bit of like, oh, we've got the secret sauce. Um, whereas in other sports, there's a lot more communication and, and things that are published, and you have an understanding of what other people are doing. So I did. Yeah. I've, I, I had I've had some guys like Eric Del Fiero uh, from Alliance, who's been a, a coaching mentor uh, to me. So we've had conversations about his approach. But outside of that, I haven't had a great deal of conversations about why certain people why certain people do certain things so in those in those three months 
we I had to like really reverse engineer everything that I had in my system because I had already had a pretty robust system uh, by that point. And there's not like massively things change from from you know in my interview I presented how I would run the academy. That that was kind of like my, I did a presentation and it, and and within reason it's very similar to that. Of, co- of course we've worked to uh, improve it, but in terms of like the foundational se- uh, sessions and the swing sessions and all of that, uh, that was already um, uh, in place. More maybe on the performance side that we've. Uh, particularly around the uh, profiling that we've that we've added to it, and then the technical tests that we've now um, uh, now included. But the the sort of what's the word like the, the foundations of that that approach. Also, oh, me. I've got any welcome through. <laughs> uh, the foundations of that uh, the, the foundations of that approach has sort of um, yeah led me to realize that that's what that's what you need. And I think the yeah the 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 um, old school way of of lots of different things and not necessarily questioning because success doesn't necessarily mean what you were doing is, is, is good. Right. A lot of things, are, people are successful despite what they're doing, not because of what they're doing. And sometimes that's a hard conversation to have because especially if someone, there's some world champions that I know certain things that they're doing and I'm like, wow, you know, it, but, wow. it, but, but it, you got away with that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but, but, but it shows in terms of the sport of MMA, how much the mental side is so important because mm-hmm. if, if they believe in it and if they, you know, they've got the other aspects, it, it doesn't matter what they're doing on the performance or the non-technical side mm-hmm. stuff that doesn't necessarily go by the textbook or do, 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 do you know what I mean? So hundred percent. So, yeah. yeah. But, but that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that you don't want to make those improvements and develop the sport because the sport is still is an infancy. We celebrated 30 years of the UFC. But no yeah. other sport is is in in that space that we're in and and at the profile that we have. So I think that there's still a lot of room to grow. I think a lot of coaches understand. When I have conversations with you know other other coaches and I talk through some of this stuff, they're all open to it. It's not like they don't they don't uh, think it's a good idea. It's just that not necessarily there's a sort of pathway to that information or accessibility. And like part of you know me having this conversation with you guys and and uh, you know I've spoken at a couple of conferences and whatnot. I'm, you know part of our responsibility as the PI is to disseminate that information. Like the journal two, the, the volume two and and a lot of this stuff is, is spoken about um in there that we're in there and to hopefully get that understanding and we're actually working on a certification course uh with the, for the performance institute as well and that should hopefully okay. um that should hopefully help in 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 some of those things particularly for the technical coaches of um understanding the um yeah sports performance or non-technical training aspects that that are really important to um the technical side as well yeah absolutely. Heck yeah, man like so so something i want to talk about too is and it's a big thing in vegas and i know it's probably even a bigger thing in shanghai is the essentially the integration of teams right we've talked about the sports performance side we've talked about the um essentially this mental performance side yeah like how do you collaborate as the technical director with the healthcare staff because that's something that in a lot of gyms it's one of those things like the healthcare like pulls them out it's almost like and taboo, then yeah it's almost like like you're again like you're a pussy if you go get checked on when in reality, like, hey, you're a professional athlete, you probably need a little work. Yeah. So um, again, it's, it's a shame that, there's, that I can't share um, stuff uh, with you because we've got a really good like uh, figure of how uh, we integrate in the in terms of the SSC department, the sports medicine department, and uh, the technical department, and we have situational leads depending on the phase of uh, rehab or the phase of return to play. Uh, so th- this is something that I think we actually do a really good a job 
at. Uh, like in my role as technical director on the performance side, it's not like I'm, I'm um, you know, specifically getting into the weeds of what each department head is doing. We've got some heavy hitters in each head of department in sports medicine, SNC, all of that. It's, it, the main, I, the main part is about how we're communicating. So exactly what you're talking about and making sure that we're, you know, working in an interdisciplinary fashion uh, and not working in silo and not working contradictory uh, uh, to each other. Because that's sometimes can happen when they're not communicating uh, well enough. So we have daily meetings before training of every department. So we'll have an update from the nutrition department because, for example, when 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 um, someone's SRSS is... Uh, um, flagging and they've got like multiple flags on the different uh, aspects you know everyone can contribute to creating a picture of why that might be the case and obviously that's that that, that those flags might is it really a conversation starter and we have to talk with the athlete as well it could have been bad sleep it could have been there's a number of factors but we try to have as many data points as possible for all the departments to see why they either looking flat or all those SRSS are having flags. So there might be with the nutrition department, they might say they're, they're you know, they're um, late, we're late stage in the fight camp. They're X amount of calories. Uh, so it's probably make, makes, you know, it sends this guy for whatever reason, left it late. And, you know, the classic thing, even though in the best environment that we could possibly create, you still get those guys that um, aren't as disciplined as they should be. So that, that would be an example. And then, um, but on the sports medicine uh, side, uh, they, they might report that um, you know what that what they've specifically had as an injury that day, and then how that impacts on the on a particular session that that they're um, that they're working on. So every session plan that we have uh, for the for the, for example that morning, uh, I have the technical set, the technical things that they're going to be working on, how many rounds they're doing, etc. But, but above that, uh, the sports medicine department has uh, like a drop down list of, for each athlete that's going to be in that session and if there's any modifications that they're going to be doing they choose from that drop down list so that the technical coaches have first of all, obviously they talk it through it but they'll make that they make those changes so because whenever possible um, whenever possible we will try to integrate them into training so maybe we don't because we don't want to pull them completely out of the session right 100 yeah. percent. they can so, still do something Exactly. So if so on, on the session plan, I have they're doing single legs, uh, we're doing single leg uh, technical drilling, and then the live situational drilling, uh, live situational work is also single leg. And this person has a, um, even maybe not as severe as a, a, a meniscus issue, but maybe something on that knee, you wouldn't want them you wouldn't want them doing so then okay well maybe that this person we can still do live work we're going to keep it to the clinch so they're not balancing on one leg so that's the, the modification that we do you can still do live work and that would be like later stage so i'm kind of kind of jumping around here because this is like uh you know this, there's a lot of in- integration that we do here but the the um the framework is, is, is like three phases of of re- return to play, return to play. So phase one is like acute care, like post surgery. Phase two is like for mm-hmm. most injuries that kind of impact training, like a like a, 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 um, a slight strain, like a grade one or, or something that, yeah. that you could still probably do stuff, but you can't do. You're not at full training, and then and then uh, uh, stage three is you're ready to go full training, but you still have to maybe. Uh, maybe you uh, we have to moderate your load because you've had a lot you know in terms of like making sure the you know acute chronic is not out, out, out you know too crazy that we're into that we're moderating their load as they come back but they're able to do uh full training so in those three phases 
the phase one, the head of sports medicine is the situational lead, and he makes all decisions about what they what they can do. And then in in and and, they, and for their programming and their rehab or anything they're doing in that stage one. And then in stage two, there's making sure that they're they're do, there's an integration between S and C and. Uh, sports medicine so any rehab that they're doing they're in the team rehab meeting which is only once a week they will talk about what programming they're planning to do on the snc side but then what programming they're doing on the rehab side so there's not doubling up because if if, if you're doing if if you're doing for example single leg uh, squats uh, and yeah. on the S and C, and they were planning, to, and then and then there's not enough. There's too much unilateral work, or whatever it might be. I'm not simplifying it again, but just having that communication so that you're um, complementing the rehab work rather than negatively impacting and overtraining a particular body part, or or maybe there's no actual loading uh, for his S and Cs. He can do so, something else. So just guidelines from the sports medicine department, but in that. Uh, stage two, the sports medicine is still the still the lead, particularly in off camp. And then when they go to uh, stage three, the MMA department uh, sort of takes the lead uh, about what what they might 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 be doing on the technical side. And the SNC same for the um, same for the non technical, but the sports medicine gives guidelines about what they can be doing. So it's like it's like, okay, a, yeah, it's, like yeah. a, it's like an integrated handoff at the different phases, uh, but yeah. then also in fight camp to off camp. So in off camp, the um, uh, the situational lead on all on things are is a sports medicine, but in fight camp, um, the technical me effectively, if I, I will take their recommendation, and if I feel they and they need to get some some. Um, they need to be working on this. This is, you know, I'm, I'm willing. The risk to reward aspect of further injuring, I will have sometimes happy to take that risk. Other times we'll pull them out and we have like top ups. So if we'll, we'll, we'll do like non technical top ups of like making sure we're hit, hitting the energy system um, sort of uh, demands of what they would have been doing in the technical session, but doing a, a modified top up in, in a non technical way that doesn't impact the injury that they they may have in that moment. So we're still like trying to keep the training load at a, at a at a match level from the, what they would be doing if they were in full training. So I, I think that the, that's one of the things in areas that I think we do a fantastic job of, of of working together because we communicate really well and we have that that. Um, sort of framework of the, the the situational lead that we literally have a figure for of like at what phase who's who, who's in charge for want of a better word but of course it's always collaborative uh, but it's just like understanding who in in the different situations who's making the decision about what training they're doing um and yeah like i said i think we, we do we do a great job of that yeah, you guys are you have so many touch points. Yeah, right? I was so saying the many daily communication. And I love he that. said daily communication. I'm like Jesus. Yeah. I wish I got to talk to everybody. I were like all my support staff yeah. daily. That'd yeah. be awesome. Yeah, yeah. We're we're. It, it, I'm fully aware how um, lucky. I, well, I but the 100. But the thing is, if if you want to work in this model, there's no reason why other people can't do it. It just takes more work. It, it right. does. Yeah. <laughs> for no, 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 for sure. And, and, but, and it, it takes more work, but when, when you re- once, once you get into doing that system, you realize how, how much more you get out of, get out of it. Because for example, yeah. if, if, on an, on the old uh, paradigm or the the more traditional paradigm, for want of a better word, um, you know, guys just get pulled out completely. The session, are they injured? They can't do it, and there's not like a there's because the, maybe the technical coach hasn't planned what they're doing ahead of time. I program like three weeks ahead or certainly a week ahead. They, the, the sports medicine department can look at my session plans and be like, oh, they can and can't do these sessions, and so then they can plan their rehab 
off the back of that, of the sessions, okay, well, you can't do that, so I'll do some rehab in that. And another thing we do that's integrated, actually, when I come to think of it, some, some sessions I like to do uh, technical and then live, technical and then live, mm-hmm. like maybe like four times, rather than technical all at the beginning and all the live at the end. Yeah. Um, and in terms of like skill acquisition, um, I think that's, that, that's been shown to be like a, a, a better way of... of um, of learning, I don't do all sessions like that, but some I do on the ones where they're learning. So you're you, you're doing a drill and then you're testing in a live situation. You're doing another drill and you're testing it. In terms of like the constraint-led approach, uh, that's kind of the way that we they sometimes do it. But sometimes they can't do that live work for for whatever reason, and instead they can. But they're able to do the non-live part, so they still join in the session. And then we have one of the sports medicine department take them through rehab during the live work. So everybody else is doing live work, and if they're doing like a five-minute round, they're getting five-minute rehab, but they're getting twenty minutes of rehab because it's like four rounds yeah. while they, while and then but still getting the technical drilling aspect and they haven't missed out whereas previously if they if they can't do the live or they're doing they're like oh, they're not doing that session today but they've still they've still been integrated and and then, and particularly on like a long-term rehab we've got a guy going through a ACL at the moment um you know some guys can be away from the mats for a very long time and then if you're talking about the psychology and the sport the um uh sort of uh, yeah the, the psychology aspects of it that can be really challenging for people in terms of mental yeah, health and, yeah. and and being out of the team and all of that so getting them back on the mats as soon as possible but in terms of like that way it really it, it means that, that that they're doing they're still developing technically even when um even when they're not able to do all the full uh, full training like we, modified training for for one of a better word it's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. Well, what's cool about that too is like it allows you to it's it's one less thing that athlete has to do later, right? Yeah. Like so many like the big thing is like that's if they have to go to rehab later, that's another session. Even if it's not a high intensity session, it's still a two out of ten, maybe a three exactly. out of ten, maybe. Exactly. That's another three RPE points yeah. that are going to be added on to their overall score for the day, which could push them from a moderate day to a high day, a low day to a moderate day. Exactly. So. Exactly. So that for 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 that that and and the, and the other reason I, I mentioned um we try to wherever possible um obviously not at the uh not at the risk of injuring them further and and within you know within the within the levels that we think are acceptable at risk to reward uh we try to keep them on the mat as as much as possible yeah heck yeah all right man well so as we know our listeners have about a 75 minute uh, attention, attention span, span. <laughs> yeah. so so as we wrap this up uh one we asked three questions to everybody the first one outside of the ufcpi handbook which y'all crushed are there any resources you think that coaches whether they're young old whoever would be able to benefit from that you know off the top of your head that you love uh nick winkleman's uh the language of uh coaching mm-hmm. um, i got in my i was about i'd pull it out i'd have it in my backpack it's not on my it, bookshelf right yeah, now. i love yeah. that book. it's it's amazing um i really i mean the one of the challenges about uh the, one of the flaws or the challenges of shanghai is that we do have a big language barrier um sure. and uh it's something we really work on, but I'm working through a translator the whole time. I have some coaching Mandarin, but it's like more of the like simple stuff, like the, the amount of rounds, the time, stop, yeah. start, well done. But anything beyond like oh, yeah. that. Oh, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I use Google Translate with those guys yeah. all the time. Yeah, I'm like, course, hey. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, 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 know, you know exactly what it's like. But um, so, and then, you know, trusting that I'm very, I try to be very conscious uh, of the words that I'm using, the choice of words and the language that I'm using based, you know, not solely based on that, but I knew, 
of that book. But I know how important, you know, external, internal queuing is. And, um, you know, I have to do upskilling of my translators to making sure that they're understanding it. And, um, and but sometimes there isn't the word to translate the way that I want to. And they have to make, they have to make judgment calls and about how yeah. they're translating it. And it's like an interpretation aspect as well as a, um, you know, translation, because a literal translation sometimes just, just doesn't make sense and they it have does, to make yeah, it. It doesn't no? exist. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that definitely a challenge. Um, but yeah, for sure. That's, that's definitely a resource that I think for every coach, no matter technical, non-technical, that is a fantastic uh, book. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Number two, we ask everybody this. If you had to pick one super, like what's your superpower? So if you had to pick the best thing that you do that benefits the most people around you, whether it's athletes or the people you work with, what's your one superpower that sets you apart? Wow. Superpower. You're super humble. You're, you're humble. So this one's going to be hard. (laughs) Uh, uh, In MMA, I would, I think it's my, um, ability to cross the non-technical and technical training and my understanding of how they complement and integrate with each other. I think that, you know, um, for, you know, Forrest literally the other day described me as like you're a unicorn uh, in, in that sense, <laughs> in terms of the, you know, the technical understanding and, and the um, non-technical. And that gives me an insight that maybe um, is, is a little bit, is a little bit unique in that sense. And so my approach, particularly on the periodization, because I, I, I really, like, as I mentioned before, I think that's super important um, in, 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 the, in athletes development. I think that that's probably my key point of difference. Thank awesome. you. Yeah. And then last one, uh, we asked this to everybody. It's, do you have somebody off the top of the head that you know we need to talk to? So a guest you would recommend for our podcast for the future? Mm. Uh, Ollie Richardson. Ollie Richardson. Okay. So he, I did my internship in strength and conditioning with with him, and he's now the head of, he's now the head of strength and conditioning back at the place where I did that with, at Leicester Tigers. Uh, he's now head of performance there at Leicester Tigers. But I've worked with him. Uh, a lot but he was the strength and conditioning coach for all those roughhouse guys and that's how we got um connected and he's like an og of of um yeah strength and conditioning in the uk um and uh yeah super knowledgeable um and you know trained mma as well so gets he gets it from the he's gets it from the non-technical and technical as well and he a, a lot of a lot of stuff about my system and, and, and my view on sports performance has come from him. Um, okay. So uh, I would uh, definitely recommend him. Yeah, for sure. Great. Sweet. Yeah. Heck yeah. Awesome. So before, before we do our little send off. Um, so FMA, that is, are, do you guys have any courses for anywhere outside of the PI? Do you have courses worldwide or is that just the system you developed? The FMA is that, yeah, I, that's not part of the certification because that's like quite in, um, that's like my, that's my IP. So, uh, gotcha. yeah, but, I, but I'm, um, yeah, I'm potentially looking at maybe developing an app, um, that like Ooh, brings, okay. brings together all the stuff that I currently all do in Excel, uh, and, uh, making it into, to help coaches and technical coaches that maybe aren't as proficient on, on, on Excel and, and the type of thing you're talking about in terms of taking RPEs and after sessions and then aggregating that data for the coach as well as the athlete. Uh, but that's, you know, with that's a, that's a full-time job in itself. So oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We we're going through an app right now yeah. and it's, it's, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. So <laughs> a lot we'll, of see, we'll see about that, but um, that would, that's, that, that's the dream anyway. That's certainly something I'd like to do. 
Heck yeah. And then if anybody's got to get in touch with you, if they want to potentially see that app in the future, yes. uh, where would they get in touch with you? Yeah, Instagram, uh, at Dean Amasinger, D-E-A-N-A-M-A-S-I-N-G-E-R. And the same on uh, X, but I don't I don't really use it. Uh, Instagram is possibly pro- probably the best place to uh, get me on. Great. Awesome. Sounds good. So if you guys got to get in touch with me or Alex, all of our information is going to be in the show notes. We'll also have links there for Dean's Instagram and X as well. Um, if you guys need any sort of strength conditioning programming, all of our building a fighter resources are available at buildingafighter.com. That's team programs, individual programs, preset programs. And we also do our white label fitness. If you're a gym that wants to maximize your fitness space, we have a program for you and we can help you make a little money on that dusty weight room you got in the back (laughs) so as always this is dr austin shane alex friedman and dino singer thanks everyone guys i really appreciate it thank you so much man yeah thank you